Welcome in. You are listening to the Blue Notes Podcast, a presentation of Indianapolis Colts stories and notes. I'm your host, Benjamin Taylor. Hmm, well, we are on to Los Angeles. Well, not really. We have to talk about what happened Sunday. I think we have to. I've got some questions, some thoughts, some theories. But for the eighth straight season now, a league-leading record, the Indianapolis Colts open with a loss. This time it was a 28-16 dud to the Seattle Seahawks. I predicted a loss, but this one burned differently. It was unsettling and concerning, and I so much want to turn the page and move on to Los Angeles, but I think we need to take a look at what happened Sunday. Now that we've had a few days to digest the loss, we need to try to see the bigger picture and answer some questions, such as, does this loss matter? Does it affect what we think about the Colts or thought of the 2021 Colts? Did this game raise some red flags? Let's try to figure it out. Stay with me, Colts fans. No one, and I mean no one, has been talking about winning that first game more often and more assertively than Colts owner Jim Irsay. And I get it. This is his franchise, his business, with his pride on the line. He wanted to stop that streak of opening losses, and yet, after watching his team fall short yet again, Ursay addressed the players and reminded them that the season is a marathon and not a sprint. More so this year than ever since a 17th regular season game was added. But not so fast, Jimmy. I appreciate Ursay's coolness and willingness to take the loss in stride, but I'm not so ready to move on. I think we must ask the question, how does this team so well coached, and I'm using air quotes there, and so well prepared, again, air quotes, keep coming up short in week one. We're fans. That's one step away from fanatics. I get that. But could our perception of the team be so far removed from the reality of the team? Frank Reich has been here since 2018. That's four season openers. Here's the track record. In 2018, it was a loss at home to the Bengals. 24-23, I believe. There was a drop pass by Jack Doyle in there somewhere, if I remember correctly. A costly one. In 2019, a loss at the Chargers. Remember, that was against Phillip Rivers. This one went to overtime. It was 30-24 to last season. A loss against the worst team in the NFL. That was Jacksonville, 27-20. And then this year, this past Sunday, a loss at home against the Seahawks, 28-16. This isn't now just an organizational coincidence. It is a Frank Reich problem. I expected the loss Sunday. The result didn't fluster me, but what I saw on my screen was inexplicable. It was perplexing and unsettling. If you would have told me before that game Sunday that Carson Wentz would be rusty and off target and the offense would be a little out of sync, but that the offensive line held up and the defense was solid, but that the Colts just couldn't keep up, I'd say, well, that's about what I expected. But that wasn't the story. That wasn't the story at all. Carson Wentz was fine. In fact, he was probably better than I expected. The defense was bad, and the offensive line was dreadful. There were some real red flags raised Sunday. There were different shades of red flags flying Sunday. Some were concerning, while others were just plain perplexing. 
The offensive line unit was concerning. Listen, I have not been one to call this offensive line great. I have not done that at all. Not once. Especially since Anthony Costanza retired. In fact, I've been anxious about it all through the offseason. You just can't throw a guy in at left tackle, which is probably the most important spot on the line, and think business will continue booming. That's not how this works. All credit is due and sent to Julian Davenport. I know, I'm probably still saying his name wrong, I'm sorry. But he won the job. He was the best of the bunch through the preseason. But two other teams passed on this guy. The Texans and Dolphins both said no thanks. And we think we're going to plug him in and bring our line up to greatness? No. I was never on board with that line of thinking. An equally absurd notion is the belief that Eric Fisher who has not played one snap with the Colts, is going to return from an Achilles tear, replace Davenport, and fix the offensive line problems. Well, that's just crazy. The Indianapolis Colts, hear me, they have one great offensive lineman. That's Quentin Nelson. Ryan Kelly and Braden Smith have both been really good the past two years, and Mark Glowinski hasn't been bad either. As a unit, especially with Anthony Costanzo, they've been really good and really reliable. But I saw things on my screen Sunday against the Seahawks that I can't unsee. It was like a scene from one of the Saw movies. Braden Smith, who recently signed a $70 million contract, was mangled more than once. That was perplexing. I'd never seen that before. I think it was his worst game since the Chiefs playoff game in 2018 when he was a weakness exposed on the line. Now we have learned since the game Sunday that he has a foot injury. He injured his foot sometime during the game. Right now, I don't know the extent of the injury or whether he will play Sunday against the Rams. God, I hope he plays. But maybe that was partly an explanation for his poor play against the Seahawks. That, I don't know. But Braden Smith was bad. Smith wasn't the worst, though. That was Julian Davenport. Davenport allowed two sacks, two hits, and four quarterback hurries, ticketing a 36.9 passing grade. Yikes. Of course, Quentin Nelson was the best of the bunch. No hurries or sacks credited to Nelson. The other four together allowed three sacks, 18 pressures, and averaged a PFF grade of 58.1. The lazy analysis would say that Davenport was the problem, but it wasn't just him. The O-line was a disaster. Late last week, we learned that the Colts' number one outside cornerback, Xavier Rhodes, was injured. That news sunk pretty low-hanging expectations for the opener against the Seahawks. Apparently, the injury happened in practice, It happened so late in the week that I didn't even mention it in the previous episode. I didn't know about it. And suddenly, he was out of the lineup. Well, I knew that would be trouble. The Colts are already thin back there, plus Seattle has an excellent passing game, as you saw. Then Sunday, I believe it was a Kevin Bowen post about a press box announcement. I can't remember, but I read that Bo Peep Keys would be starting in place of Rhodes. Oh my, this guy wasn't on the team two weeks ago, and now he would be starting at the top corner spot. 
Well, thankfully that didn't happen. TJ Carey got the start instead. Carey wasn't so bad, honestly, but it was a scary moment. A face-punching reminder that after Xavier Rhodes, there is a mountainous drop-off at the outside corner position. The Rhodes replacement caused low expectations for the Colts secondary to sag lower, but it wasn't just poor play from the reserves. It was alarmingly bad for the entire secondary, and the worst plays isolated unexpected players. Strong safety Kari Willis, much like Braden Smith, played his worst game in years. He was burnt continuously. Willis might not ever be an all-pro, but he has been unshakably solid since earning that starting job. We don't even think about him because he just gets the job done. We never even mention his name. Kari Willis is like a good bass player. When he's in the pocket, moving with the rhythm, doing his job, you don't notice him. He's solid. But Sunday, he was a mess. Check out this line. Kari Willis, when in coverage, allowed three catches on three targets for 95 yards and two touchdowns, dipping to a PFF grade of 40.6. That's out of 100. 40.6. I honestly don't know what happened. Was he overcompensating given the lack of cornerback depth? Did the defensive scheme put him in impossible situations? I don't know. What I do know is that when Russell Wilson saw Kari Willis line up in coverage, Wilson was thrilled to take advantage of the moment. The cornerbacks may not have been great, but you didn't know it. Everything seemed to fall on Kari Willis. However, there were two remaining mysteries on the back end. Number one, Rakia Sin, who was my greatest concern prior to the Rhodes injury, actually played okay. He had the highest PFF grade of anyone in the Colts secondary. And mystery number two was Kenny Moore. Kenny Moore, on the other hand, like so many other Colts cornerstone Sunday, played astonishingly bad. Moore gave up four catches on four targets and was clearly beaten on screen late in the game, giving up a touchdown to DK Metcalf. That's a tough assignment, and Kenny had no help, but seeing that on my screen was like seeing the Mothman, or like the Loch Ness Monster. My jaw dropped in disbelief. Before moving on to something good, I just want to send out one more alert. I wouldn't call it a red flag, maybe more of a beige-colored flag, perhaps a head leaner or a chin scratcher, but Ben Banigou and Taekwon Lewis, who are both really good in camp, only logged a combined 35 snaps Sunday. I had high hopes for them after how they played through the preseason, but that momentum unfortunately didn't carry on into the regular season. We'll see if they are able to reestablish themselves going forward. Believe it or not, there were a few glimmers of hope Sunday. Carson Wentz was really good. The poor guy probably thought he was leaving Philadelphia and coming to a sound organization with a great offensive line. Instead, he was under pressure nearly every snap Sunday. Wentz wasn't able to overcome the poor play at every other position and will his team to an unlikely victory, but he also didn't lose the game for the Colts. Wentz completed 66% of his passes through two touchdowns and zero interceptions. He made some good throws, he scrambled for a few yards, 
I have to say, I was impressed by what I saw from Carson Wentz. Given his foot injury, he has had very little time with this offense, and this was his first game against a playoff-level opponent. Imagine what he can do if the offensive line blocks a little bit. Aside from Wentz, the defensive line was actually really good. I commented on last week's episode that the best plan was to keep Russell Wilson in a compressed pocket. The D-line didn't really do that, but they got pretty good push up the middle and flushed him out at times. DeForest Buckner recorded a sack and rookie Quiddy Pace shined. He had one tackle for loss and a fumble recovery, scoring one of the best PFF grades on that side of the football. Darius Leonard had another forced fumble. Even when the game was unraveling robustly, Leonard continued to do what he does. My worries about this team and this defense are multifaceted, but not one includes Darius Leonard. Lastly, Michael Strawn, the rookie wide receiver out of the University of Charleston, logged only 18 snaps but had two really big catches. Although he was used sparingly, Strawn showed that he can be trusted. Nothing seems to overwhelm him. And that's a nice glimmer of hope for a team that lacks long-term answers at the wide receiver position. So what does all this mean? Does this loss really matter all that much? Does it change what we think about the 2021 Colts? I think the loss does matter. A year ago, the Colts lost the opener to the worst team in football. That loss was the one that kept the Colts from winning the division. So yeah, every game matters. But maybe as Colts fans, we just have to expect it. We don't have to accept it, but maybe we just expect it. In a league that now plays 17 brutal regular season games, devalues the preseason, and pushes the postseason on through January, maybe a soft and slow start isn't the worst thing. Tom Brady, whom you all know and love, actually has a worse record in September than any other month of the regular season. Instead of worrying so much about that first game, maybe we should expect the Colts to struggle in September. As fans, we can accept this as long as it comes with two guarantees. Guarantee number one, players are healthier later. I'm not completely sure anyone can offer this guarantee the Colts' secondary is already in a bad way, but we do expect to get Dio Dingbo and Eric Fisher later. If the team was designed to be at full strength later in the season, I can get behind that. And guarantee number two that I would like to have <laughs> is the team peaks later. Think about this. No one wants to peak in high school. When you're in high school, yeah, it's nice to be cool and have a bunch of friends and get invited to parties, but 10 years later, who cares? In fact, if those were the best days of your life, you are to be pitied now. The most successful people I know and the coolest people I know were nerds in high school. They weren't all that social, but they worked hard and had their lives together. Well, somewhat. Well, the same applies here. We don't want this team to play its best football in September. It sure would be nice to win a season opener someday, but I don't want to exchange September wins for momentum in December. I do worry if the Colts come out of the gates rolling in week one that the momentum would slow to a halt sometime in early November. In marathon running, you hear about the wall. It's a real thing, and everyone hits it. You just have to be ready for it and plan for it. One way to prepare is not to sprint when the gun fires. 
but to exercise good pace. An NFL season, like Ursay suggested, parallels that marathon race. We don't have to like it. We don't have to accept it. But maybe we should expect it and plan for it. The Colts, at least under this regime, are going to be slow starters. Okay, back to our original questions. Does this matter? And does this change what we think of the Colts? Yes, it matters. Losses in September count the same as losses in December. They all matter. But a loss early in the season might propel this team to refocus and reevaluate. Let's hope that's the case. Does this change what I think about this team? Yeah, a little bit. I've never seen Braden Smith, Kenny Moore, or Kari Willis beat like that. Those are three of the most consistent players on this team. How they respond to Sunday's matchup against a tough LA Rams team can help reestablish high expectations for the 2021 Colts. The Colts play the LA Rams at home Sunday inside Lucas Oil Stadium. Believe it or not, this was one that I predicted the Colts to win. In my defense, that was before Wentz's foot injury, and I thought that Matthew Stafford, who was switching teams like Wentz, might have a slow start too. Well, last week, the Rams looked like one of the best teams in the NFL. I don't know how the Colts win this game. They have given me no reason to think they will, but I'm going to give my three keys to victory anyway. Number one, play loose. This sounds so stupid and simple. But they looked really uncomfortable last week. Most of Wentz's passes went to the running backs, no shots downfield, missed assignments on the defense. Everything looked hard Sunday. I'm not sure how this is accomplished with Aaron Donald wrecking the field, but the Colts need to have fun, get comfortable, play loose, and find a rhythm. Number two, take the points. Take the points. I've never been critical of Frank Reich's aggressive play calling. He likes to go for it on fourth down. Normally, I love it. But points might be hard to come by Sunday. If they get in field goal range, maybe the Colts should just take the three. And number three, integrate the tight ends. Aaron Donald is by far the best defensive lineman in football. Jalen Ramsey is one of the best cornerbacks, if not the best cornerback, in the league. The Rams are good at every level of the defense, but they're elite on the front and back end. Maybe the best way to move the ball is to attack the middle of the field. Last week, the tight ends only had three catches on six targets for 21 yards. I still think they'll need to take a few shots downfield, but maybe a few tight end completions will set up a long strike. And that's all I got. I think it takes more than that to beat the Rams. But somehow, against God and science, I'm going to say that the Colts win. <laughs> it's a close game in the 20s. The boys in blue bounce back and take this one 29-27. Talk to you next week. This was a presentation of the Blue Notes podcast. I'm Benjamin Taylor. Thank you for listening.